Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. My name is Warren Maynard. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Schmore. I'm the dog, he's the duck. We've got a great show for you. We're gonna be talking dogs, ducks, college football playoffs, the NFL breakdown, what's going on with the Steelers, some of our favorite weekly moments, and of course, Mark's moments at the end of the show. So stick around. Mark, how was your weekend, my friend? Well, Warren, it was a great weekend because I, I celebrated back-to-back Pac-12 champions uh, in the Oregon Ducks. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, really kind of a Cinderella story to be counted out and left for dead uh, after they didn't win their own division and then uh, to be given kind of new life by this uh, pandemic, which, uh, which sidelined uh, the Huskies. And uh, no, I mean, it was a... Uh, Cinderella's you know, turning over in her grave right now. <laughs> How dare you associate such a lovely person with the Ducks? What's that? How dare you associate such a lovely person as Cinderella with the Ducks? Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, in all seriousness, it was kind of a strange week. I think last week when, when the two of us touched base, it had been announced that Oregon was going to play in this game. And... I think both Oregon and USC were kind of scrambling to get ready. And, and uh, I didn't really have my mind wrapped around it. It didn't, I, I think I said last week, it felt unearned and illegitimate to, yeah. to, to be able to win the division without having to beat the Huskies to do it. And then as, as things kind of played on and I started seeing little, uh, you know, messages from people in the college football world, like John Wilner, who is a prominent mm. college football writer right. yeah. uh, in California, uh, r- probably the most prominent like Pac-12 journalist. He basically said, uh, well, the Pac-12 should just give the trophy to USC, uh, that this is totally ridiculous to make USC actually have to play in this game. And so it was kind of like the, uh, you know, the hometown kid came out on me a little bit more. By Friday night, I was like, all right, I want the Ducks to win this game, and I want them to make life miserable for everybody that's rooting against them. So I, I, I would have to say I took more delight in this victory than in any of the victories this season just because it, it felt a little uh, like uh, like they were making a little bit of a, of a statement in, in defiance of the people that just really didn't want to see Oregon do well in this game. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I saw that same tweet from John Milner and I, John Wilner, sorry. And, and I definitely did not agree. And I had a feeling, I mean, I just, you know, we talked about this last week on the show that, uh, USC, yes, they had the 5-0 and record. They were ranked. Oregon was unranked. But not for a second did I think that, uh, you know, Oregon didn't have a strong chance to really dominate a, a USC team that really I don't, I don't think that they were any more deserving to be there than Oregon in a lot of ways. But you know, their record kind of fell the way that it did. But I mean, you know, uh, kudos to Oregon. They, they kept themselves health, healthy. They, you know, did just enough to get in. And um, once they got in, they took advantage of it. And, you know, that's, that's all that can be said about that. But, you know, for the Huskies, it was a brutal weekend. Of course, watching your you know, your, your really your biggest rival who you've been kind of, we've been competing and, and debating over the last, you know, five or six years, who really is the, the king of the North. The Huskies have won it three out of the last five years, but now the, the Ducks have won the Pac-12 two years in a row. And so there's a really weird dynamic. So for us to be able to, to, to be forced to sit home to watch, you know, this thing play out the way that it did was brutal. Then to find out later in in the weekend that um, all of the the Husky season is over. We're not going to a bowl game. We're not going to be able to recover in time from uh, the the numbers being down with COVID nineteen. So, not a good weekend uh, on the whole to be a Husky fan. Now there were a few little things that we could take some joy in. We picked up a couple of good recruits. 
And uh, Mark, I don't know what this is like for Duck fans, but um, you know, we've kind of become accustomed because of Chris Peterson, I think, and now carrying on with Jimmy Lake, um, getting some three-star preferred walk-ons has actually kind of become a source of joy for Husky fans because some really great players have come to the Huskies as walk-ons, earned scholarships, and performed pretty admirably. In recent history, Miles Bryant came as a walk-on. He was an all-Pac-12 player. This year, and we'll get to the all-Pac-12 honors in a little bit, but this year, uh, uh, Edifuan Ulafosio, who came as a, a walk-on, was just recently named second team All-Pac-12. So it's kind of an exciting thing to, 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 you know, to watch those preferred walk-ons come on. But compared to winning the Pac-12, it was a downer yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting the way the recruiting calendar fell because there are there is this news about recruiting classes coming out in, in the middle of the week. And I, for right. Oregon, there was also the drama of, um, you know, there was some talk that Auburn was pursuing Mario Cristobal for their coaching yeah. as he's trying to secure this vaunted recruiting class. And How and serious do you think that was? Was that just a ploy or do you think that, that they were really going after him? Oh, I think they, I think there was genuine interest on Auburn's side. I don't know how much of an interest there was on Cristobal's side, but who knows? Uh, He, he's going to get uh, paid handsomely out of the deal. So I think he's, he's quite happy. Yeah. Um, But it was, uh, yeah, you know, um, it's funny because we will, we'll talk about, um, recruits and and you kind of circle these guys who you have no idea actually how good they are but they're 18 years old and they have some star ranking next to their name and you kind of identify them as as the player that's you know gonna change the future of your program that you're rooting for or whatever but you know watching the actual uh the game on friday night there was there was kind of a cool moment that um if you'd been following the ducks all year you kind of recognized uh what was happening which is that they have struggled in short yardage situations this year. And for this particular game, they took a new approach, which is they brought in a backup quarterback Mm -hmm. named Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown is a graduate transfer from Boston College. He was a starter, a a pretty decent starter at Boston College, transfers to Oregon as a senior, does not win the starting job, loses out to the younger Tyler Shuck. So he's basically using his last season of eligibility to be a backup quarterback in the midst of this condensed season has not really seen the field at all throughout any of the the regular season games. And then they designed a little short yardage package for him Mm -hmm. to come in. He's a little bigger guy. He can run the option, do some things. He came in and he threw two touchdown passes around the goal line. He converted a huge fourth down. And I, as a fan, it was just one of those things where you're like, I'm so happy for that guy to kind of have this moment. And I have no idea what the star ranking is for Anthony mm-hmm. Brown. I have no idea. Um, you know, when he when he first transferred into Oregon, it was kind of a head scratcher of like, why are we adding a grad transfer quarterback when we seemingly have a young quarterback that's ready to go? It was just kind of confusing. Right. But but uh, it's just a reminder to me that you know we can spend so much time obsessing about players that haven't even put on a uniform. But right. how satisfying it is when you see somebody that's been putting in the work that has, has their one moment to really uh, get on the field and do something and, and they take advantage of it. So that was, that was just a cool thing, I think, for, for Oregon fans. Well, especially when it leads to your team winning. I mean, you know, like you said, they struggled in that, you know, red zone area with Tyler Shuck. They made some adjustments. They, they created this package, you know, and I think USC was obviously not ready for that, which was, you know, brilliant on – the Oregon staff uh, side of things. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but actually this year doesn't count towards eligibility. So he could come back for another year should he choose to do that, the the backup quarterback. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, I guess you're right. I had heard that about, um, you know, certainly about athletes in sports that that didn't actually happen. I didn't know that that was necessarily true for. Yeah, no, that's the case. So, you know, we just found out uh, sixth year player offensive lineman, our center, Luke Wattenberg has 
decided to come back for another year. He oh. was injured a year, and so, you know, red shirt. But uh, so believe it or not, we could see Britton Covey for another two or three years, the, uh, the, the Utah Ute who has become the Huskies whipping boy over the last several years. But I think he's like 29 years old now. So, um, yeah, well, you know, great, great, obviously great weekend for the Ducks. Not so great week, weekend for the Dogs. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, all Pac-12 honors that just came out, I think either yesterday or today sometime. But, um, you know, I think it, it definitely goes to show that uh, the Pac-12 coaches and, and media, I'm not sure who, who votes on this, um, you know, held a lot of the Husky players in high regard. Uh, they had a total of 11 uh, players who were honored on the 2020 all Pac-12 football teams. Uh, four first-team selections, uh, Jackson Kirkland, uh, left tackle, Elijah Bolden, defensive back, Kay Dotton, uh, tight end, and ZTF, who came out of nowhere this year. He was a third stringer on our defense entering the season, but because of Joe Tryon declaring early for the draft, uh, Leatu Latu being out and injured all year long, ZTF shows up. And his first three games of the of the Husky season is named the defensive player of the week for the Pac-12. So quite a story yeah. in that. You know, I mean, Mark, I know you wouldn't ever do a Mark's moment on a Husky <laughs> player, but if you were going to, VTF <laughs> would be a good guy to do it because um, literally just one of our little recruiting interns discovered him while looking at tape on another player in Hawaii and thought, who is this guy? He yeah. was at a small Hawaii school that normally doesn't get recruited. He brought the tape to the coaches and uh, within uh, a, a few days, this guy had an offer and no, there was no ranking for him when the Huskies signed him. Yeah. But you know, all the agencies ran around and decided to give him three stars based on the fact that the Huskies had signed him, but, you know, really exciting uh, development for him and, of course, for Husky fans. Um, second teamers, Trent McDuffie, Edifuan, Ulafosio, who I mentioned earlier, and then uh, a number of guys that earned honorable mention. How did things turn out for the Ducks as far as the Pac-12 honors this year? Yeah, well, the, really, um, the the – the big honors came on the defensive side of the ball. There were no offensive players on the uh, first team all conference for the Ducks, which wasn't really a surprise if you watched. I mean, uh, they, they struggled to move the ball for much of the game against USC. They did not move the ball at all in the second half against Cal. So not really a surprise there. Uh, but uh, freshman Luke, um, no, Luke Sewell, I'm sorry, uh, was uh, – the freshman defensive player of the year. And then uh, in addition to that, you had Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive mm -hmm. lineman and Mikhail Wright defensive back, both first team and, uh, and well-deserved. I think they were, yeah. those were the best defensive players in Oregon this year. Diamador Lenore, uh, who thought about going to the NFL came back. He was the second team player. And, and I should point out, I called him out on this show two weeks ago, asked him <clears throat> for a turnover against the Huskies. He did, come through with an interception on that opening drive against yeah. USD. So, um, so good to see some of those defensive defensive players honored, especially after a Pac-12 championship where they really changed the tenor of the game in every way. I mean, harassed Keaton Slovis all night, picked him off three different times, batted down several of his passes, sacked him multiple times. So that was the best the defenses looked all year. So it was good to see a couple of those guys get some recognition. No, that's great. And in addition to that, um, you guys had the the freshman defensive freshman player of the year in Noah Sewell. Noah Sewell. I, I called him Luke Sewell and I'm I was okay. mistaken with somebody else. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, obviously Kayvon Thibodeau was uh, you know, probably the highest recruited player that Oregon's gotten, at least in recent history. And he definitely came on at the end of the season and he was very noticeable in the Pac-12 championship game. 
So I think he's well deserving. I think at the beginning of the year or at parts of the year, people wondered, you know, whether or not he was regressing, but uh, certainly he had a, he had a, a good finish to his season. Um, Mark, one thing that, that jumps out at me as I'm looking at this list of the all pack 12 honors second team kicker jet toner. Didn't he miss like four field goals in a row against Oregon? He, uh, you know, now I, I, I wish I had uh, been prepped for that question. Um, it, it definitely did not seem like that was a, that was a great day for him, but, um, but I know that, that most of the kickers in the Pac-12 in a typical year, you don't feel very good about having them uh, come out to attempt a game-winning field goal. So it could have been, just been he was the best of, uh, of a class that was lacking. I, I did not study up on my, my Pac-12 kickers before we – Yeah, started. no, that, just, that actually just kind of stood out to me. I was like, wait a minute. He's – I mean, you know, hey, everybody's going to have a bad day, but to miss four field goals in one game – that's uh it's hard to recover from that but congrats congratulations to him for uh yeah. he, for whatever he did to get back uh <laughs> to all pack 12 status that's pretty impressive and of course as we discussed earlier Britton covey who um he is a senior at utah first team return specialist and uh husky uh whipping boy for the last several years the one of our mutual friends, uh, Mark JJ, and I, we created the hashtag pray for Britton Covey because anytime <laughs> he plays against the Huskies, he just takes a severe beating by our <laughs> defensive backfield. So, uh, well, cool. Well, hey, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the CFP. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, um, you know, whether or not. Ohio State deserved to be in that mention. Mm -hmm. What about Texas A&M? You know, as the way things played out, uh, Alabama won a game that was actually a lot closer than I think any of us expected against Florida. Uh, Clemson absolutely blew out Notre Dame. And Ohio State, I would say they took care of business against Northwestern. Nothing really impressive from Ohio State, in my opinion, but they did the job. They took care of business. So things uh, basically settled in mostly as we expected. Alabama is the one seed. Clemson is two. Ohio State is number three. And Notre Dame is number four. Mark, how do you feel about that? Uh, does that resonate with you? Or do you feel like somebody got robbed in this, in this uh, you know, your CFP poll? I don't know that somebody got robbed. Um, I would say that uh, they, the committee was left with uh, several unappealing choices. And so they ended up settling on a Notre Dame team. And the reason why they settled on that Notre Dame team essentially is because they, that team beat Clemson earlier in the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in doing so, they had to overlook the fact that that same Notre Dame team lost to Clemson by 24 in the last game of the season. And I'm I'm a believer in these things that timing should matter, that when you lose actually does matter. And if the last impression that you have of a team is losing by 24 points uh, to one of the playoff teams, then, then I think that's reason enough to say we can look elsewhere for a playoff. It kind of reminded me of this is uh, – way back in, uh, it would have been 2001. Do you remember when Eric Crouch and Nebraska mm. were highly ranked going into the end of the season? They played at Colorado on Thanksgiving weekend and Colorado just throttled them, mm -hmm. but it was Nebraska's only loss of the season. So Nebraska maintained their ranking basically and and went into the national title game against a really good Miami team and, yes. and got crushed again to nobody's surprise because everybody who had watched Nebraska the week before said, this is a flawed team. And, and it wasn't so much Nebraska's fault as much as if you really studied the other teams and, and Oregon was one of those teams. That's why I remember this year. So clearly if you mm -hmm. studied the other teams, nobody had a resume where you could say definitively that they were more deserving of this, this, 
flawed Nebraska team. Well, that, that's kind of the same way here. If, if you don't like Notre Dame because they lost badly to Clemson, then your next choice is Texas A&M who lost badly to Alabama um, in their only opportunity to, to play a playoff team. And you just kind of go on down the line. If, if you think it should be a team that won their conference, then you have to look at Oklahoma uh, who lost multiple games, who lost to a Kansas state team that was just kind of mediocre this year. Yeah. And um, so, so there, there are, uh, you know, several kind of um, teams that all kind of have their own flaws. If you're asking me personally, I would have loved to have seen the committee give the Cincinnati Bearcats a shot. This is a team that was undefeated, granted playing in a, in not a power conference, but they were undefeated. They played multiple teams that were ranked in the top 25 at the time and they beat them all. Uh, they have the best defense in the country. Statistically, I don't know that they would be more likely to beat Alabama. Um, I don't think you would expect them to go toe to toe with Alabama the way Florida did for much of the SEC championship game. Uh, but I think in terms of, hey, who is the team that has done the most to deserve a shot? Uh, we know that Notre Dame and, and Texas A&M have it in them to lose badly. Maybe Cincinnati would have the same thing happen, but they haven't shown us that yet. So let's let's yeah. give them a shot. That, that's kind of my take. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I think Cincinnati, hey, Cincinnati, Cinderella, I mean, maybe that's that's the that's the Cinderella that that I could get get behind for sure. And if by some miraculous chance they had given Cincinnati that opportunity, I would not have balked at it at all. I don't really think that they were deserving of that opportunity. Um, you know, we talked about this before. It seems like to me, if you've got two teams that have one loss. Um, and you're looking at A&M and Notre Dame, then you're saying, okay, well, A&M lost to the number one team. And in my opinion, clearly the number one team in the nation. And then, you know, Notre Dame lost to the number two team in the nation. But so the, so I would say the, 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 the loss strength goes to A&M, but then there's the win strength. And what was A&M's best win? Well, you know, you could say looking at Florida in the SEC championship game that maybe we need to give them a little bit more credit for that win. But clearly Notre Dame had a better win against, you know, Clemson without their starting quarterback, but still than anything that A&M did. Well, and at you, the end of the day, though, it's like, how do you determine? Because it's it's apples and oranges. I mean, you've got some teams that have played 10 games, 11 games. Yeah. Some teams that only played six is, you know, some that are playing against, you know, really difficult competition. And then a team like Cincinnati where, come on. I mean, most of the teams that they played this year were not – really worthy of being considered in the CFP. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly not trying to be an A&M apologist because I have no allegiance to them whatsoever, but, um, you know, I, hold on a second. Hey bud, what's up? Hold on a second. Yeah. So I'm definitely not trying to be a Texas A&M apologist, but I think, my biggest thing, which I, you know, we texted about back and forth over the weekend was I'm just kind of sick and tired of just seeing the same matchups over and over again. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an Ohio state fan and he was like, uh, we're playing Clemson again. He's like, yeah. you know, why can't we at least change it up? You know, have maybe, uh, well, I mean, of course Clemson and Notre Dame have already played twice this year, but, I would more so like to see Alabama and Ohio State. I think, you know, pure talent, Yeah, that might be a little bit more interesting. But, yeah, so, you know, it's the CFP. They, it's, it's one thing about college football is that you, you always have something to debate. You always have something to argue about. And this year is certainly no different uh, than, than years previous. 
Well, to, to your point on that, uh, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State have combined for 16 births in the playoff in these, these seven years that we've had a college football playoff. 16 of the 28 births have just gone to those three schools. And if you throw Oklahoma in there, who wins the Big 12 virtually every year, I think they won it for yeah. the sixth year in a row this year. I think they that adds four more. So that's like 20 playoff berths amongst four different schools. Right. And so uh, I do think there are some solutions that uh, that the powers that be could entertain to make things a little more interesting if, if they were open to it. Oh, really? <laughs> do you, do you want to give us at least a, a, a taste of that? Well, here, okay, if I were, uh, let's say I'm, I'm college football czar. I'm going to pitch you on something, Warren. Now, this is, okay. we should make it, make it be known to the listeners. They have not heard, you have not heard this pitch. Okay. No. no. So let's imagine that, uh, that we're on a normal time frame. So we're not wrapping up the season on December 19th or something. Mm-hmm. We're wrapping it up the first weekend in December. Okay. December 5th. Yeah. And, um, and, but imagine that the, basically the teams that we have are, are roughly, you know, their rankings are, are, you know, roughly where they would be. So what I'm proposing is not an eight team playoff, which is what it seems like everybody in the world is assuming they will transition to once the current round of contracts is up whenever some year in the future. I'm going a step further, Warren. Mm. I would like to see a 12 team playoff. And let me, let me pitch okay. you on what this would look like. Okay. Imagine this. It's December 12th. Okay. We were, we've played all the conference championship games and the committee has given out four buys, basically kind of like the NFL mm-hmm. would do. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you've got Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Notre Dame. They're all sitting at home with a comfy buy. Right. And we have playoff games. We have playoff games on campus sites. Yes. We have Oklahoma hosting coastal Carolina. Mm-hmm. We have Indiana, great story, Indiana hosting Florida. Yeah. We have Cincinnati hosting Georgia, okay, saying, hey, Cincinnati is wow. the right to host a playoff game. Yeah. Now they're going to have to take on a big, bad SEC team. Let's see if they can really, mm-hmm. you know, hold up to that. And we have uh, Texas A&M hosting the Pac-12 champ in Oregon, okay? Yeah. And uh, – that would be that would be December twelfth. It would be four playoff games. We would we would be watching football all day. You would transition mm-hmm. to the next weekend, December nineteenth. Now the teams that have buys are in it. So if 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 all of the heavy if all of the higher seeded teams won, you're you're talking about Alabama hosting Oregon, Clemson hosting Oklahoma, Ohio State hosting Cincinnati, which would be fun because of the interstate mm-hmm. rivalry there. Uh, Notre Dame and Texas A&M. So we actually get to see which one of those teams is more deserving, you know, that will all take place. Are we associating these with bowl games? So let me get to that. I'm anticipating this question. So basically those two rounds of the playoffs that I just laid out, get us to this point in the calendar, December 19th, or, you know, by December 19th or December 20th, you would have had two rounds of the playoffs but you would also have had these 12 teams already selected as the 12 teams in the new year six bowl games. Mm. So the four teams that are still left in the playoff, they would play in whatever were designated as the semifinal games on new year's day. And then the other eight teams who have been eliminated from the playoffs would get mm. matched up in a series of other new year six bowl games you know, as kind of a final coda to their season. So maybe if Oregon, let's say Oregon goes and they lose to Texas A&M, um, but maybe maybe they still get a chance to go play um, Indiana in a bowl game or something like that. Right. Uh, as kind of a final uh, treat for the players on that team. They go somewhere tropical. And uh, I just think if, if, if you and I, who are, you know, obsessed with college football, imagine if the Huskies are in a year like this, it replace yeah. Oregon with Washington. They're going to Texas A&M for a playoff game on December 12th. How excited would you be for that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love it. I think that's a great, great proposal. I, I do wonder, uh, especially in this day and age, Mark, with players choosing to opt out of bowl games, Yeah. you know, how much of that, 
kind of stuff would take place if it's like, well, we're out of the playoffs. Now this bowl game, which let's face it, at one time in my childhood, getting to the bowl game was the biggest thing that you could do. Now the CFP has kind of taken some of the luster off of that. And I think the just the massive proliferation of bowl games all over the place has kind of taken some of the luster off of that. But then you add this particular wrinkle of, okay, well now in some people's eyes, this game feels completely meaningless now. Yeah. Uh, You know, how do you, how do you reckon players and fans and coaches would really respond to that? I, I, yeah, my thought on that is um, I, I think, the biggest question is, would the fans really want to travel for that? And I, I still think there would be some appeal to if, if you're a, um, for one thing, you have home playoff games for the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. So the fans are doing very little traveling yeah. there. So you're kind of guaranteeing sellout crowds and you're guaranteeing huge television numbers for those two weeks to make up for whatever you're losing. If the bull games are feeling a little anticlimactic. But I think there is still a segment of, of the fan population. You and I are not in this fan population. Like yeah. you went to the Rose Bowl. It was a once in a lifetime experience. I have not been to a Rose Bowl. When I do, it'll be a once in a lifetime experience. You know, yeah. uh, actually for me, it's been a four time in a lifetime experience. Oh, so maybe you are one of these fans. Yeah. Maybe you are yeah. one of these fans. But because there are, there are fans who just will kind of, they'll, they'll go wherever their team's playing, uh, you know, around New Year's. And so yeah. if it's a trip to New Orleans or if it's a trip to Miami, um, as long as it's one of those locations that has some appeal, I think you could draw people. And I think as far as the the players opting out, uh, because they're kind of uh, exhibitions after the playoff games have already been played, I think for the coaches, it's a chance to kind of use it almost as like a more intense spring game where it's mm. saying, hey, let's see how some of these other guys do right. thrust into the spotlight in a really big game but not like ruin your season if you lose stakes to it. Um, so I, I think I think there could be some benefit for some of the younger players who right. have a chance maybe to to step into a different role because you know so so and so is getting ready for their NFL career. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love it. Let me know when you become SAR, the SAR of college football, and I'll I'll get behind it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. hey, let's uh, let's for, for the sake of time, let's keep moving on. And um, we'll just, we'll talk a little bit about some NFL stuff, but Mark, I know you're dying to know about how my fantasy football team. Oh yes. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned last week, I'm the two time reigning champion in my league Two uh, or excuse me, eight geniuses and two idiots. And uh, I was going up against a guy who has been, just destroying everybody in his path for the last several weeks. And I'm excited to share that, uh, that in spite of not having Christian McCaffrey again, I was able to get to the, the, the finals. So I've got my final game this Sunday or this weekend. And uh, I am on the verge of a three peat. Oh my goodness. Three peat. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I haven't told anybody else this yet, but I think if I win again, I'm going to recommend that we change the name of the league to One Genius and Nine Idiots. Yeah, so. I, think, I think that's merited. Yeah, so <laughs> three-peat is on the line. Okay. Three-peat is on the line. Although I have to say, um, you know, the last time I got cocky like this, it didn't go well. So I, I remember – Mark, the Seahawks were uh, in their second Super Bowl in a row. Uh And we were thinking that we had a dynasty on our hands. And as the game was going on and we got to that moment where, you know, Russell was about to to hand it off to Marshawn Lynch Mm -hmm. and win the game against the Patriots. Yeah. Yeah. I was already chanting three-peat, (laughs) three-peat. And uh, and then everything came crashing down. So yeah, 
I mean, in my mind, I was like, this is it. Like, we're going to win, like, the next five uh, Super Bowls. But, you know, yeah, I know a few Seahawks fans who I think had similarly high uh, expectations at that point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll even be as honest that I went so far as I actually had created a uh, – I created a meme that I was going to post after the game. And it was a picture of Russell Wilson – whose jersey number is three with a picture of Pete Carroll. And I had the words three Pete next to <laughs> there it. There you go. There you go. But sadly, it never got published. So, uh, yeah. well, so talking about uh, expectations not being met, uh, let's talk a little bit about what on earth is going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, just a few weeks ago, the Miami Dolphins greats of the 70s were wondering if they were going to have a chance to pop their champagne bottles. They did. The Steelers yeah. lost uh, at their first game after winning their, their first 11 games. And now they've lost three games in a row, including a quite embarrassing loss to yeah. the, what, the 2-12-1 and 12 and one Cincinnati Bengals, who are not even using their starting quarterback anymore. Right. right. What on earth is going on, Mark? So the two things that jump out, I think, if you were to talk to a Steelers fan, on uh, on the defensive side of the ball, they they have lost two of their elite defensive players, linebackers Devin Bush and Bud Dupree. They lost both of them to um, season-ending injuries, and uh, that is a huge, huge blow for them. But if you're really looking at, at what has been their downfall these last few weeks, it's not so much on the defense, it's on the offense. Yeah. And specifically, Big Ben, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So I, I dug into the numbers a little bit. And, you know, I, I, I like just as a reference point, I look at the passer rating, which is kind of a combination of your completion percentage, touchdowns, interceptions, uh, yards per attempt. It kind of throws all that together in one number. So in, in the first nine games of the year, Big Ben had a passer rating of over 107 times. And one of those times he didn't get to 100, he had 98. So basically, almost right. every game, first two-thirds of the season, Big Ben was playing at a really, really high level. Okay, When they beat Baltimore in that kind of funky Wednesday afternoon game, his passer rating was in the low 80s. Uh, it stayed in the low 80s when they lost to Washington. It dropped down to the mid-60s against Buffalo, it dropped down to the low 60s versus the Bengals. So if you look at his, basically every important stat, his completion percentage, 52% against Cincinnati, you know, that that's the type of thing. It really needs to be like in the high 60s if, if they're going to be successful. His yards per attempt was less than four and a half yards per attempt on the day against the Bengals. At one point, Roethlisberger's passing numbers was four for 10 for negative five passing yards. Yeah. Warren, how does somebody complete four forward passes that results in negative five passing yards? I mean, that should be our stat of the week. That should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and we, we have seen some of this from big Ben over the years. He can be, uh, a very streaky quarterback. Uh, you know, he's thrown out some mega clunkers over the years. I mean, I remember two or three years ago, he had a game where he threw four interceptions and he even asked the question after the game, you know, I'm not sure if I'm done. I mean, maybe yeah. this is it for me. And then he came back and really had a great season. And again, this year, you know, he was doing well. He's got, all of his offensive pieces in place for the most part. Uh, I don't think James Connors uh, played this past week, but um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, Eric Ebron. I mean, he's got the talent and the, the, the key pieces to pick this thing right back up again. Is this just all in Big Ben's head? Well, I mean, it could be in his arm, right? It could be just a, a thing of uh, he's he's hit a point where, um, you know, this this happens with with quarterbacks is at some point they just can't can't quite physically do what they're used to doing, and they can't quite do it with the same degree of consistency. And 
Um, you know, we also don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Is there some lingering injury there that maybe mm. we don't know about that after the season we'll find out about and we'll kind of explain why he's he seemingly has turned into a different player within the past six weeks. But uh, it it's not a good sign at this point. If you're if you're a Steelers fan, you know that first loss to Washington, you can kind of shake it off and say, hey, this is an eleven and one team. Like, yeah, they're going to be fine. They they could still be the number one seed. And I mean. Now it's questionable whether they're even going to get a home playoff game with with the way Cleveland is right. is on their heels. So uh, if I'm if I'm a Steelers fan, I've gone from being uh, still pretty enthusiastic about the season two weeks ago to now, um, I mean, really really wondering like what earth shaking thing they're going to have to do to try to salvage this. So the Steelers are going down right now. Yep. And then the New York Jets. Are they going up? I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? They they beat the Los Angeles Rams who were leading their division, and now they potentially have squandered their opportunity yeah. to tank for Trev and to get Trevor yeah. Lawrence from uh, Clemson as the number one pick in the NFL draft this year. Was this a good decision, Mark? Well, I mean, that all depends, right? Like uh, tanking is such an interesting thing because tanking is really more something that I think exists at the front office level where a front office is going to make decisions to conserve resources to not build a more competitive team now in the hopes of improving draft status for later. But for the players and coaches that are grinding through a season, none of them want to be associated with the team that's gone 0-16. Right. Uh, most of them know that their job next year is dependent on how they do this year and probably will not be with the same team. Yeah. So especially Sam Darnold. I mean, that guy knows he's not, he's not dumb. He knows if he doesn't get some wins, he's probably going to be replaced by Trevor Lawrence. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, Yeah, so I don't think you can ever expect players or coaches to tank. Tanking is more, I think, almost a way in which the front office kind of, or or the fan base justifies the losing as as, as kind of a way of saying, well, at least we're improving our our position for the future. This is where I would love to see, and maybe this is a longer conversation for another time, I would love to see some sort of really radical change to how we award draft picks um like i would love a lottery where every team gets an equal shot at number one draft pick so that there is no incentive to tank and where the best team in the league is just as likely as the worst team in the league to get the top pick i think that would revolutionize the way teams have to play in these late season games i i don't agree with that um (laughs) because you know it would just be the way that things are that you know, teams like the, the the New England Patriots, the Seattle Seahawks, the Kansas City Chiefs, they would just somehow end up year after year getting that top pick and uh, teams like the Jets who desperately need a Trevor Lawrence uh, to come on. Uh, you know, it's like the one year that there is a transcendent guy somehow the worst team in the league ends up picking sixth, you know? So, and the, and you know, it's like, it's like when the San Antonio Spurs now granted they earned it, but you know, they had David Robinson as the number one overall pick and then Robinson gets hurt. And as a result, they end up winning the number one overall pick and getting Tim Duncan and basically have, the or one of the most dominant centers in the in the NBA for the better part of two decades um you know that that really shouldn't happen but you know you leave it a chance those kind of things would happen here here's an interesting idea I I mean I think there's something there with the Spurs and and there's an interesting discussion we could have and I I do think we'll have to schedule some time out for that because I think it'll be Fun, but just in terms, if we're just thinking about Trevor Lawrence and the New York Jets, um, here's an interesting thought for you. There have, since 1980, so that's 40 years now, there have been 22 quarterbacks that have gone first overall. Mm -hmm. 
Of those 22, how many do you think led the team that drafted them to a Super Bowl victory? Hmm. 22 since when? Since 1980. Not many. Um, I'm going to guess... I'm going to guess four. So you're kind of right. Okay. There are four number one picks that ended up winning a Super Bowl. Okay. And that is Troy Aikman with the Dallas Cowboys, Peyton Manning with the Colts, and later the Broncos. John Elway and Eli Manning. However, John Elway right. and Eli Manning were both traded Forced because they trade, refused yeah. to play for the team that drafted them. So in that case, even the team that had the number one pick didn't reap the benefit of John Elway or right. Eli Manning. Uh, so it's actually only two quarterbacks out of 22 where the team had a number one draft pick drafted a quarterback and then had that quarterback lead them basically to the promised land. Right. Now, here's, here's where it gets crazy, okay? You can find those quarterbacks in other places. Um, right. Brett Favre and Drew Brees were drafted in the second round. Joe Montana and Russell Wilson were drafted in the third round. Tom Brady famously drafted in the sixth round. There are three Hall of Fame level quarterbacks who got their start in leagues outside of the NFL. Warren Moon started his career playing yes. in Canada. Steve Young started his career playing in the USFL. Kurt Warner was playing in the Arena League. So getting that franchise changing Hall of Fame quarterback is not nearly dependent on the first pick as New York Jets fans are thinking sure, it is. Sure. They're much yeah. more likely to end up with a Matt Stafford or a David right. Carr or somebody of that caliber than ending up with, you know, Peyton Manning. Well, and we could definitely do a deep dive into why that is because, you know, it obviously it takes more than a quarterback and, uh, even if some of those guys that got drafted were guys that were as talented or more talented than guys who have won Super Bowls, take for instance, a Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson had the good fortune of coming on to a team that had enough talent around him that he could develop into the Russell Wilson that we know today. And you look at that and then you compare it to, like you mentioned, a David Carr who just got obliterated yeah. in his first two or three years. And, and he was never the same. Yeah. Peyton Manning is one of the very rare exceptions. And Peyton Manning only won one Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. And, you know, obviously he had to get through Tom Brady, but the challenge that he faced in those early years was he just didn't have the the team around him to be able to to ascend out of that pit by themselves so you know it's it's kind of a little bit of a toss-up because you've got you know take for instance a, a team like the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray and uh, you, you look and you, you you could see potentially him getting them to that point but uh, it's rare that a, a talent there's a player with that much talent that could just lift a team from being one in 15 to within two or three years a super bowl you know talent so yeah. you know it's and the mismanagement that goes into a team to become one in 15 is not going away with trevor lawrence that's that's the thing. That's it's not necessarily doing Trevor Lawrence any favors. Like, <laughs> it's much it's much easier to do in the NBA than it is in football or baseball. Yeah, for sure. So, well, hey, we need to wrap it up. But um, Mark, give us uh, your stat of the week. Okay, stat, stat of the week this week, Warren. It's uh, NBA season tips off tonight. The Warriors and the Nets are actually playing right now. And I think uh, the last I checked, uh, yeah, the Nets are just killing the Warriors. Um, <laughs> and uh, Warriors are obviously they're playing without uh, Clay Thompson. They're playing without Draymond right. Green. So not, not a full squad there, um, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I married into a Warriors family. My wife, uh, mm. big Warriors fan um, down from uh, Central California. And so I married in right as the Steph Curry era was taking off. And so uh, I have – 
unabashedly jumped on the bandwagon at the best possible time. And one of the, one of my favorite stats has to do with Curry and Durant and when they play together. Okay. Mm. When the two of them teamed up, when they played together in the same game, the Warriors were 164 and 46. That's basically on pace for a 64 win season. 64 wins is, you know, in, you're in line for a number one seed. No, no surprise there. Yeah. Okay. When Durant played and Curry didn't, the Warriors were 28 and 18. Hmm. That's about a 49 win pace. That's like a yeah. lower level playoff team. And there's actually a stretch in there where they were 14 and 14 without mm. Curry. They were a 500 level team. Okay, here's my favorite part of this though, Warren. When Curry played yeah. and Durant didn't, they were 34 and 8. That is a 66 win pace. That is a right. pace for the best team in the league, even without Kevin Durant. They actually had a stretch in there where they were 31 and 1 with Curry and without Durant. And that is why even if the Nets are beating the Warriors by 30 points tonight, I will always maintain that Steph Curry was more valuable to those teams than Kevin Durant was. I, I can't disagree. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you think about the great Golden State era, you think about the Splash Brothers and just the, the – the movement that you saw out on the court in the way that they, they all work together. And, you know, when Curry is healthy and he, you know, he obviously wasn't healthy last, last year, but when Curry is healthy and he's got his key pieces around him, you know, Clay, uh, Draymond Green, and even guys like Iguodala, those guys uh, helped draw enough attention away from him that at times he was unstoppable. I mean, he, you know, barely crossed the half court line and he's you know, draining threes like no one in NBA history has ever done before. Yeah. So it was a thing of beauty. And I think for them, you know, part of what's interesting about those statistics is that, you know, it, it was, it was Curry's show before Durant got there. Yeah. So they had to figure out how do we make this work with what we're already doing well. And they 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 did a good job. I mean, obviously they 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 won you know NBA championships, but it took a little while. So I think that kind of contributes to the win pace being a little bit lower. But then I think when Curry was out, it totally um, it, it like the whole recipe had to be you know rewritten yeah. and I think that's why they struggled with this you know you've got Durant and no Curry because the team is built around what Curry brings to the table yeah. um, so it will, be, it will be interesting to see what Durant does now you know with the the Nets you know with Kyrie Irving and what they're trying to build there but I, I have no doubt that if Curry is back to his normal, healthy self and he's got the pieces that have made him good in the past, he'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Um, so, Mark, give us your, your Mark's moment, and then I'll finish this off with the, my P-dubs parting shot. All right. My, uh, my moment for the week, uh, Warren, going back to championship week this last uh, Saturday, championship Saturday, uh, I want to talk for a moment about San Jose State. Two years ago, San Jose State's football team won one game. Saturday night, they beat Boise State for the Mountain West Conference Championship. They wrapped up an undefeated season, and it's a season in which they've been practicing on the road for the past three weeks, including in there was they had to reschedule a home game to Hawaii at the last minute due to local health protocols. Um, overcome all of that adversity, and they ended up uh, capping off this undefeated season. There's a great video going around that people will have to seek out and find. You can find it on San Jose State's football's Twitter page of a celebration scene in the locker room of the team singing Lean On Me mm. together. The team and the uh, players and the coaches arm in arm singing this song together. Warren, I love 
a locker room celebration video as much as anything in the world. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, nearing the end of a rough year, I just yeah. felt like this scene of celebration was just kind of an encouragement that there could be better days ahead if, if we can learn to lean on one another. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and Mark, it's interesting because I, I really had not paid much attention to the San Jose start state Spartans until just the last couple of weeks saw that they were going up against Boise state, which has really kind of owned uh, that conference for the, the last decade yeah. or more. Um, but this is a story of really, you know, particular uh, meaning for me because my dad is a San Jose state Spartan. He graduated from there. He played in the marching band and uh, you know, a few years back uh, I, I was, um, going through some of my dad's old football programs. And this is back, you know, in the the sixties. And um, it was fun just kind of flipping through, looking at the players. One of the things I got a kick out of was just the size of the players yeah. back then compared to, you know, the size of guys now. And uh, one, one that always stuck out to me was uh, there was one particular game that I was looking through and the biggest player on either team, and he was on the oppo opposing team, the biggest player on either team was six foot four and 270 pounds. That's the biggest player. Isn't that amazing? A guy by the name of John Madden. Oh, hey. Yeah. Okay. So obviously became a Raider and then ended up being yeah. you know, a great coach and announcer. But yeah, I mean, that that's just wild to think about. So I was very touched by that. Uh, my dad um, died in November and we celebrated his, his life. He was the first uh, member of his immediate family to go to college and uh, certainly looks back on that time, looked back on that time with a lot of pride. So anytime uh, the San Jose State Spartans do something well, it's, it's, a, it's a meaningful thing. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, as we wrap up my parting shot, I thought I'd do something related to Christmas since we're just a few days away. So, you know, what was my Christmas gift for this year? I think with with sports kind of being uh, disrupted throughout the year, the, you know, the playoffs are put on hold, guys being stuck in bubbles, seasons being shortened. For me, maybe the thing that I enjoyed the most in, in the world of sports this year wasn't actually a game itself. It was when we were all stuck in quarantine and ESPN scrambled, they called an audible and they released the last dance, the multi-part series on Michael Jordan and the Bulls run to win their last championship. I enjoyed that so much. That was a wonderful, wonderful gift for me this year. And I know you enjoyed it, Mark. We talked a lot about it. In fact, in many ways that helped forge our friendship and uh, birthed this show that we're doing together. Um, so that was a beautiful thing. My coal in the stocking this year, Mark, is the end of the Husky season to, <laughs> to, to, to not get to play against Oregon, to not get to play in the Pac-12 championship, and then to not get to play in a bowl, that just sucked. So that yeah. was my stole. No Apple Cup in there as well. No Apple Cup. Yeah. It just was a, a, a horrible way to end the season. And here's my Christmas wish. So my Christmas wish is that we will, in 2021, be able to resume sporting events in person. I know there may be some people li listening in other parts of the country, but here in the Northwest, uh, we have not been able to enjoy that. There were no college football games that allowed uh, in-person fans to attend. As a season ticket holder for the Huskies, that was a, a brutal thing to not be able to enjoy that, especially in this year. But really looking forward to wishing that 2021 will be filled with uh, some glorious uh, moments and memories and hopefully the chance to partake once again 
in live sporting get events with fellow friends and fans. Well said. So that's it. Thank you for joining us once again to our thousands of fans. We're, we're so grateful for you listening in every week. And uh, we hope you have a blessed holidays. Merry Christmas. And we will see you in the new year. Mark, any parting words? Yeah, uh, just what you said. Look forward to 2021. All right. The best is yet to come. We'll see you guys later.